Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO of Next Element and author of Seeing People Through. Today on the show, we're going to talk about hypocrisy in leadership and how personality is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Congratulations! You are tuned into Dolph Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives and those who are dedicated to creating a quantum leap in leadership. Your host, Dolph Barron, is the founder of FullMontyLeadership.com. He's an executive mentor to leaders like you a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, CEO World, and he's been featured on CNN, Fox, CBS, and many other notable sites. Dolph Barron is an international business speaker who was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire. Now, over to Dolph Barron. Welcome, dear friends, fans, and fellow aficionados of Leadership Excellence. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives. I'm your host, Dove Barron, the Dragonist, and I'm here to assist you tapping into the one thing in your business that changes everything by transforming meaning into action. To find out more, you can simply go to DoveBarron.com. This episode is brought to you in part by MagCast, M-A-G-C-A-S-T. Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would that do for your authority? Well, whether you're a coach, a content expert, or an emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what if you had a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and your professional status in the eyes of your market? Well, this is the way of you going from invisible to getting a meeting with anybody you want. To find out more, go to magcast.co. That's M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot Co, D, uh, that is C-O, where for first-time publishers are creating thriving magazine businesses. That's magcast.co. All right, let's, let's, uh, let, let me ask you a question. What do you need to do to up-level your leadership? What secret does NASA and Pixar Animation Studios know that leaders everywhere can use to increase their authority and their authenticity, their connection and influence what would be the secret and what would happen to the quality of your leadership and your communication if you had it? Well, stay tuned because you're about to find out. We've got a fascinating show for you. Remember, you can chat about this episode or any past episodes inside of our Facebook and LinkedIn groups. Just look for the Leadership and Loyalty Podcast. If you're a new listener, new viewer, thank you for joining us. Strap yourself in. We're about to go full Monty. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you tune into podcasts. And we always need your help in staying relevant. So please get over there, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And do us a favor, share it out with others. All right? Uh, you can also catch us on uh, Roku TV, where there's over 100,000 subscribers. And with a potential reach of 2.5 to 4 million listeners for every single show, we're honored and grateful to be cited by Inc.com as the number one podcast to make you a better leader. You can also catch us on Google Home and Alexa. 
All right. In fact, even if you're a podcaster and you want to be, or maybe you want to be one, you can come and join our podcast community. That's at uh, Podcast Delight on Facebook. So again, I want to thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know. Let's strip it down and dive right in. If you don't know, maybe you probably do, we've done many shows over the years on communication. And it may be, if not the most important, certainly one of the most important factors of leadership. Getting it wrong can cost you everything. So how can you get it right for everyone that you deal with? Well, our guest on this episode is Dr. Nate Rieger. Now, he is the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting. It's a global leadership firm dedicated to bringing compassion into the workplace. He's an expert in social emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, and leadership. He's recognized as a top 100 keynote speaker, and he... Um, he is a process communication model certified master trainer. He hosts a podcast called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. He writes for multiple industry publications. He's the author of three books, Beyond Drama, Conflict Without Casualty, and his new book is Seeing People Through, Unleash Your Leadership Potential with Process Communication Model. It's a deep dive into the process communication model and he unpacks it, including the templates for it in his new book. So ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for returning champion and author of Seeing People Through, Dr. Nate Rieger. Yeah, great to be here, Doc. <laughs> Always good to have you here, Nate. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you being with us as a returning champion, one of the few who made it back through. Well done. Well, yeah, coming to you from sheltering in place, right? There you go. And um, thank you for sharing that wonderful background of your new book and, and what it's all about. That's great. We're going to dive right into that. Before we start, let's start here, which is, um, I know I've asked you this before, because as I said, you're a returning champion, but I want to ask you, because sometimes it changes. Who might we not know or maybe not considered who has been a major influence in your life? Who is somebody who has really impacted the way you see or do leadership? Uh, I don't know that it's changed a lot, but certain ones come to the fore. Mm. And in this book, I actually dedicate it to one of my co-founders, Jamie Remsberg. She taught me what process really means, what it means to see people through instead of seeing through people. And so 15 or 20 years ago, when I first met her, she's been a mentor around how it is that we really see people through. So I would say Jamie Remsberg. Mm. Well, tell me something specific that you've really gotten from her that's really impacted you. Contrary to my personality that likes to jump in, take action, you know, get going with things. One of Jamie's unique special gifts is her ability to listen and to be present with people. And mm. it's amazing what you can learn when you shut up. And she's <laughs> really good. She taught me the love of crickets. Being able to hear is one of the most important things a leader can do. Mm. Now you also, thank you for that. That's really interesting because I think it's something that we all maybe need to learn a bit more as leaders. But there's also a NASA connection for you, isn't there? A NASA there is a NASA influence. connection. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I haven't personally uh, worked with NASA, but the founder of this model, Dr. Tavi Kaler, actually 
worked with the chief psychiatrist for manned spaceflight at NASA mm -hmm. when the space shuttle program was getting off the ground, using this model to select and train astronauts for the space shuttle program because it's so incredibly predictive, but also teaches people how to communicate in effective and, and what happens when we don't. And I'll tell you, astronauts need to communicate well. Yeah, uh, not much time for rambling. <laughs> No. <laughs> so your new book is called Seeing People Through. And as I said, you talked about how it's a deep dive into the process communication model. So let's start there, right? Please share with our audience, what is process communication? What is that model? Because I'm certain that 99% of people have never heard of it. Yeah, it's, um, although it's, it's global, it's not maybe as well known as some of the big communication and personality models. It's called process communication because it focuses not on the what or content, but on the how, the process of how we talk. Mm. And I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I find that it's true that how we say something sometimes is more important than what we actually say. And this is the only model that I know of that is behavior-based. So it was actually developed by observing and decoding behavior mm. to discover these patterns within people of how we communicate in effective ways or we miscommunicate in ineffective ways. Okay, so it's observing the process of behavior in how we communicate. So when you say that, I'm just sort of thinking about that right now. When you say that, um, is this, I mean, is somebody going to get a grasp of that from this book? Cause I know it's a fable and I want to talk to you about the fact that it's written as a fable, yeah. uh, but is somebody going to grasp that or is it, you know, it seems like maybe, you know, it seems like for some people that might be like, Oh my God, that's some heavy psychology stuff right there. You know, but yeah. you, you've put it in a fable for, is that for the reason to make it graspable? Yes, that's uh, two great points you bring up. PCM is incredibly sophisticated and effective, and people can spend years mastering it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, with very with a few little little uh, techniques and strategies, people can be have transformed conversations immediately. And uh, there's a lot of books that have been written about this model, and most of them teach the model pretty specifically. Like here's this, here's an example, here's this. I wanted to change it up and let the model come alive through people's lives. And so it's a fable where each person has a personality structure and you get to see it come alive in how they connect with one another or how they miscommunicate. So have you done, have you ever written a fable before? Only, only partially. My last oh, really? book had, had some scenarios that kind of uh, made their way through, but this is the first full fable that I've written. Yeah, uh, the first book that I wrote was a novella, quote unquote, a fable. And uh, it's still my favorite writing to do. And I actually love writing that. It's, it's uh, because it's so freeing. And it it's, is. And it's a lovely way for people to get the information at the level they can get it. So it's fascinating to me that one of that book that I wrote, I had somebody contact me very recently who said, you know, I found this book. Somebody who reads a lot of my stuff said, I found this book. Is this you? Because it was 1994, right? And, and I said, yep. And they go, because, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't look like you because the picture's like this guy with long hair. And, you know, <laughs> of course, it doesn't look like me. Um, but my lessons are all embedded in there. You yeah. know, and, it, and, and it's fascinating to me that a friend of mine who had read the book years and years ago said, I read it again 
and it's a different book. Mm. And, I, and I said, it's not, but your understanding is different. And that's what I love about these things is that people get it at the level they get it. Was, it, was, that, was that a fun process for you? Was that hard? Was that easy? What was it? My process may have been similar to what you described, where I felt intimidated at first by the, by the challenge of it because mm. I'm, I'm not as much a storyteller as more of a didactic teacher. So it was, a, mm. it was a stretch for me. But once I got into the characters and I really started embodying each character, the writing became fun. It was really right. fun. I couldn't wait to get back to it. Also, though, um, intimidating because I predetermined the, the personality structure of each character, which meant mm -hmm. in my storytelling, they needed to behave according to their personality. Right. And I'm also writing for a, a global network of over 3,000 certified trainers and coaches. They will know if my character behaves um, <laughs> yeah. in the wrong way. You know, yeah, you've got a bunch of critics looking at every word. <laughs> I got a bunch of critics. And so I'm not only feel like I'm going to be evaluated on my storytelling ability and my character development, but also am I staying true to the very thing I'm teaching? Now, the, 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 as you said, this, the process communication model is based on six personality types, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, thinker, uh, was it persister? Yeah. Uh, imaginer, harmonizer, a rebel, and promoter, is that right? That's the six. Oh, okay, I got them. Yeah. Good. Um, now, right at the beginning of, that, of, the, of the book, when I looked into it was um, something that really rang for me, which is I have a big problem with personality tests. Personality assessments are, um, I mean, there's some really great research done in the nineties where uh, it was actually an NLP program and uh, neuro linguistic programming. And what they did was they, they did a, a, a kind of bunch of people fill out these personality tests uh, very different people and then gave each of them exactly the same result, but they didn't know and asked them, what do you think? And everyone was like, Oh my goodness, that's so accurate. Right. And oh, of that's course so it, me. It was, yeah. That's so me. And so that's part of the problem is, is the, the, the confirmation bias. Yeah. We, we look at a, uh, these tests with confirmation bias. So walk us through that challenge and how that's addressed here. Yeah. Well, you bring up a, one of several big problems with per personality assessments in general. One of them, which leads to confirmation bias, is that they, if it's based on a theory. So I think I have a theory of personality differences, so I build a test to measure it. And then the test confirms my theory and the results can confirm whatever I want. Sure. So one thing different about PCM is it's based on behavioral observations. So all, we're, all that Dr. Kaler did was well, I don't say all like it was insignificant. What was <laughs> yes. significant was he let the behavior and the mathematical patterns reveal themselves rather than forcing a model that fits some theory in his head. So when people learn PCM, sometimes they agree, sometimes disagree, but the more they learn, the more they're able to say, okay, I see specifically how my behavior matches this. Mm -hmm. The other problem is test retest reliability. If, if you're not, personality is supposed to be durable. It's not mm -hmm. supposed to change. So if I take the test and my personality changes, clearly we're not talking about personality here. No. Um, so that's another problem. Um, and then probably the third 
big problem is types of people. And human beings, we love to categorize, we love to simplify, and we love tests that make the human mystery somehow understandable. Sure, and we so love we showing grab people it. in a box. Oh, right? <laughs> and so one thing that's different about PCM than any other model is it's about types in people, not types of people. And so types in people, in people not types of people. of people. So you're not going to hear someone say, oh, you're, an, you're a this or you're a you're an eagle or you're a, the color red or you're a high this or you're an ENTJ or you're an introvert. Nothing against these other tools, but what's really critical is that when we learn that we have all six within us, what that means is that I am just like you and I'm unique at the same time. So we all have all six to differing degrees. And that means there's so many implications for leadership and connection and kind of uh, shared consciousness when you really think about that. So it, it's, the, um, it's the six are in all of us, but the potential for how they show up in a given time, is that, is that right? Both, yes, two, two things. They're, for every one of us, these six are arranged in a preferred set order, yes. much like, oh, maybe the six floors of a condominium. Mm-hmm. And the base floor correlates with our temperament. We're born with that base floor intact, and, it, and it's durable throughout the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And then personality is generally developed by about age seven. So the other right. five floors are in order by age seven, and that doesn't mm-hmm. change. Um, but what does change is is which part of our personality is maybe primary at different times of our life, how we deal with stress and distress, how we're motivated. All those things bring incredible nuance to a six-factor model of personality. Right. Now, early on in the book, I noticed actually the first chapter is hypocrisy. Talk to us a little bit about that because, you know, I mean, you and I talked about this last time you were on the show. I mean, the the hypocrisy of authenticity, the hypocrisy of leadership um, in the people who, who don't know how to lead themselves are trying to lead other people. I mean, you know, we could spend several hours just talking about that subject alone. But tell us why you put that right up front as the first, first chapter. Well, I, I have some problems with the way some things are done. And so I'm calling it. Maybe I'm getting old. I don't know about you, but I, I don't mind. It's time to start sharing the stuff that, that, I, that are bothers me and the things I'm passionate about. And I think one of the biggest hypocrisies is how we throw around words like authenticity or honesty or being true to yourself. We say these things, but then we define them like we, are, like we want to define them, what's comfortable for us. Mm-hmm. But think about this, for example, if I say that I, if, if we have all six types in us and we choose to only operate from one of those six types, are we being true to ourselves mm-hmm. or are we being self-limiting and monolithic and, um, but claiming that we're being authentic because we're just, you know, operating in one particular limited way. Um, and I think we say a lot of things like, oh, we're all in this together, or we believe in diversity, or we want to include everybody but we don't do it. We don't actually do it. It's just lip service. Mm-hmm. And so PCM really puts a new lens on to challenge and open up much bigger possibilities to live out what we mean by things like inclusion or, or diversity. Yeah. I, I, I find that the, the whole idea of, um, you know, you, again, we, you and I talked about it last time, but the, 
the idea of an authentic self being, I mean, I, I remember working with a client and he, and we were about three months into the work and he said, you know, I, I finally get what you say. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I finally get that. I've been looking for my authenticity mask. Right. He said, instead of being authentic, I'm looking yeah. for my authenticity mask, you know, cause he had his, his, his banker mask and he had his leader mask and, you know, and he says, and now I was looking for my authenticity mask and he goes, what you've, what I, you've been trying to tell me is that my authenticity mask doesn't exist. It's no mask. It's I'm in this, which means I'm pissed off and that's what I am, which means I'm joyous and that's what I am. It means I'm motivated and that's what I am. It means I'm lethargic and that's what I am. And I can be any of those things, but I don't have to be any of them permanently and I actually get a choice. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that concept of a mask. A process communication model out gets really clear about what do our masks look like for each personality type in us and how do they cover up our best true self? And then what would it actually look like and sound like and feel like if we were to reveal and express that true self based on our personality? Um, And so like one chapter called honesty, I just go straight at um, we're not being honest most of the time and we act like we are. Um, And there's layers of honesty uh yeah well you talk about safe honesty versus real honesty in the book yeah. so yeah. so walk us through a little bit of that a bit more a little deeper into that because i think that's an important yep. thing for people to grasp mm-hmm. safe honesty is when i tell the truth about something that makes you more vulnerable like your zippers open or can i give you some feedback about your performance or can I be honest with you? Have you ever had somebody ask if they could be honest with you? And now you're the one freaking out like, oh no, what are they going to say? Right. Um, So safe honesty is intellectual honesty, like telling the factual truth or sharing your opinion about someone. And afterwards, they're the one that's more exposed. Mm. Real honesty exposes you. And real honesty talks about what are my emotional motives? Why do I do what I do? Um, you know, if, if I'm in public with you and I say, hey, Dov, your zipper's down, if I can be honest with you, and I act like I'm helping you, but what I'm really doing is soothing my own anxiety about how people will look at me if I'm with you in public. Exactly. Um, and so if we got honest, if I was really honest, I would say, Dov, I feel anxious and I, and I want to be perceived as professional. And I don't feel that way when your zipper's down. Will you please zip it up? And I've owned my own stuff. And I realize this isn't about you. It's uh, my responsibility to deal with my own feelings. So let's just stop there for a minute and take a little pause because I think that that is such an important piece. Like right there, if we don't go any further, we could actually just drill down into that because for me, that is so poignant in this piece around uh, safe honesty versus real honesty. And real honesty is in fact, based in genuine vulnerability, because a vulnerability like authenticity is another one of those words that's thrown around that pisses me off because people throw around the word, but they don't actually know what it means. And so they have their, um, quote, vulnerability stories that they present and people go, oh, wasn't that vulnerable? No, it was really rehearsed. There was no emotional content in it, and it was the right thing to say in order to win you over. And anybody who knows anything about communication could tell you that. But yeah. you bought in, and it's not vulnerable at all. 
what so what you're talking about is vulnerability that has genuine yeah uh not only vulnerability but self-accountability to what i'm feeling or going through right it does and that kind of vulnerability is when we own and we live what's called the only existential position the only existential position is i'm okay you're okay i don't define your okayness and you don't define mine so if i choose to be vulnerable and show my cards without rehearsing without being able to control how you're going to respond you may respond, you may reject me. You may say that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You may not be able to relate and that might hurt, but your response does not define me because I'm okay and you're okay. And I think we have to believe that before we can be vulnerable and vulnerability tests and proves that that's true. Every other position is a behavioral position where we take positions like I'm okay, you're not, or I'm only okay if I please you, or, or you're only okay if you're perfect for me. Uh, and PCM is explicit about how that goes down and what it looks like for every personality type. That was a, that was a good book. I read that in the late seventies. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm you're okay. okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. Most people will not remember that. You have to go find some, some historical yeah. copy of that, but it was a great book. Uh, and PCM you, shares DNA with that, with that um, Eric Byrne who, yeah. who from that book. Yeah. yeah it's fabulous work. Uh, and it was really just about that. It was just about owning your own stuff way back then. And it was way ahead of its time, but still was really good stuff. We're going to take a little break here because I want to let you know that this episode of leadership and loyalty is brought to you in part by our other podcast, which is called curiosity bites. Curiosity bites is the answer to the question. How do we bring people together who completely disagree. This is exactly what your mind and soul have been craving. It's a chance to sit in on real and often intense conversations with some of the world's most interesting people. People like astronauts, neuroscientists, philosophers, holy people, quantum physicists, skeptics, entrepreneurs, entertainers, and even some folks that you might think of as, uh, well, a-holes. <laughs> but they are truly fascinating individuals. Simply go to dovebaron.com, that's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com to find out how you can sink your teeth into Curiosity Bites. All right, let's continue our conversation because we're here with Dr. Nate Riga and we are talking about his new book um, that is a fable that is taking you through a process of understanding of communication that is well, a little different than what you might have been, um, what you might have thought of in the traditional sense of how communication looks. And uh, rather than it being a personality, it's more about how you're behaving out of a certain way. And so how to, how to shift that, change that, and open up yourself to that. Um, one of the things you were saying, uh, Nate, in the book is that you say that leaders um can build trust by recognizing two sort of trust questions around that are personality specific hmm. so can you tell us what those questions are because i think i want to give people something really rock solid they can sink their teeth in yes this is this is um immediately applicable like you, we, we work with lots of organizations, leaders, and teams around trust. It's one of the biggest things people care about. Yep. They know when it's been broken and they want it back. Mm -hmm. And we'll often interview teams. Uh, what is, you know, 
what is trust to you? Define trust. What does it mean? How do you build it? And we'll, we'll brainstorm and fill an entire wall with people's phrases and concepts and definitions. And what we've noticed is when you sort them out, they always fall into one of two categories. Each one of us, when we're engaging with people and we're, we're trying to know if we can trust them, we ask one of two trust questions. And everyone asks one of these. One of them is, am I safe with you? And what that means is, will you treat tenderly and respectfully what I share with you if I get vulnerable? Will, will you like me for me? Will you honor my feelings? That's one trust question. And for mm. people that get that one answered, they trust you. And they also initiate building trust by being that kind of a person for you. Mm -hmm. But there's another one. And that trust question is, can I count on you? That is a completely different question because can I count on you has to do with follow through, finitive, meeting promises, meeting deadlines, doing what you say you're going to do. It's very behavioral. Um, and so when people say, well, I can't trust you because you don't have any integrity, what they're saying is I can't count on you to do what you say and follow through on your promises. Mm. But those people often create very unsafe emotional environments where they're very trustworthy and dependable, but they're not trustworthy in terms of creating a safe place for people to get vulnerable. So it turns out personality, the six personality types, three of them, wait, three? I want to get this right. Mm -hmm. uh, four of them asked the question, am I safe with you? And two of them asked the question, can I count on you? And you got to get it right if you're going to build trust. So one is, a, one is around how, whether it's okay for me to be me. And the other one is if you will behave in a way that honors what you've said is that yeah. right so i can be me first question is can i you know am i safe with you to 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 reveal who i am in a very yeah. broad sense yeah uh, and then the other one is if you say this will you do it it's an integrity question and those so it's really we gotta have both yeah, I think we need, we need to understand what our own trust question is and then mm. appreciate that it's very easy for us to practice the golden rule and earn trust like we want to be trusted. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, my trust question is, is, can I count on you? So I'm very dependable. I do what I say. I follow through. I'm responsible. And I may be doing that all day long. And my wife doesn't feel safe to tell me how she's really feeling because I'm just banging away, delivering on my promises. Um, and the other thing to realize is if I want to earn trust, I earn trust by behaving in you, by answering their trust question. Exactly. Not my own, not my own. That's the platinum rule. Um, yeah. yeah. So treat people the way they want to be treated, not yeah. the way you want to be treated. And, and I think it's really cool that you put those two things together um, because I think that there is a propensity towards one rather than the other. People say, well, you know, I'm being really vulnerable with you and I, I, I'm totally okay with you being vulnerable. But, you know, um, at the same time, I'll never keep any promise I ever make to you. Right. Well, right. I'll keep my word and I'll, 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 I'll never disclose anything about you, but I'll never follow through on anything. Well, I don't trust you. And other people are like, as you said, we'll follow through on everything but will not hear you and actually trumple over you to get shit done 
um, to prove that they're trustworthy and they're not because they're not emotionally can't hold you in that safe place. That's a, that's a really powerful combination for building. You know, sometimes, sometimes people ask me, do you trust me? And that's a really loaded question. And Mm -hmm. so often I will answer in one of two ways, either I trust your execution, but I don't trust your intention or I trust your intention, but I don't trust your execution. And those kind of play off these two trust questions where I trust that your heart's in the right place. You care about me unconditionally. You're always going to be there for me, but you don't get stuff done when you're supposed to. So I don't trust your execution. Um, So we can't just have these broad questions like, do you trust me? Or I don't trust you anymore. Um, But I think it's interesting because um, I know it's a part of your work and mine too, but this is, these are wonderful self-reflective questions. So not just questions for others, but can, you know, are people safe with me? Can they deliver their vulnerability and I can hold it in, in emotional safety? Mm. Yeah. Good. Can, um, uh, can people count on me? Oh, I think so. Well, do I follow through? Ooh, I don't know. Okay. Well, so now you've got people's emotional trust, but not all the other way around. So it's, I think it's a really, those two simple questions for oneself are in and of themselves profoundly important. Well, this is, this is leadership. If exactly, if, if leadership is the ability to influence diverse gifts towards a shared goal, then a leader must be aware of these and must both earn them and give them both questions and be able to recognize who they're dealing with and then adapt how we communicate, how we build trust, how we're honest so that that person is experiencing it in the way that fits their personality and they can shine and they can thrive and get rowing in the same direction. Yeah. It's it right there again, very powerful and important. Tell us how, you know, give us maybe a story or something, but tell us how you are using this in your work and how it, how it, you know, sort of, do you have an example of how it plays out? Yeah, a very basic way would be how we build rapport in new, um, with new clients and, and, and networking. How do we build rapport? First thing is to recognize the process of how our prospect or customer or new connection communicates. And that helps us understand how they want to be communicated with. What's their favorite way of interacting? How do they want to lead or be led through this process? How are they motivated? You know, we may call it, what's your sales motivator? What's your sales question? But we really have to understand at the end of the day, what is important to them? Because any relationship they get into with us, it will only be meaningful and sustainable if it regularly helps them answer their motivational needs and helps them deal with their own stuff in a healthy way. And so it's critical in building rapport. Uh, and then when we're doing training, it's, it's fantastic to be able to recognize and respond to how different people are motivated in the same learning space so that everybody can have the experience that they need to be able to get on board and engage and embrace the learning. So do you have a, a story, an example, for, you know, of, of having done this and where you, you know, like the interaction of what that's looked like? Just because yeah, I want really- people to get a firsthand sort of grasp of the picture, you know? I'll share with you one personality type and how they can contribute and how they can sabotage and how we Fabulous. deal with that. One of the types is called the persister, which you mentioned type in us. And 
Her sisters are very strong around values. They form opinions readily about how they're evaluating everything around them, how it matches up with what they believe is important. And they want to be respected for their convictions and they want to be respected for their dedicated, purposeful work. So let's say they come into an interaction with us, a training environment, a coaching environment. They want to know how is this relevant? How does it support my values? And, and do you have a backbone? They're constantly looking to see if you can be trusted in that way. Mm. And so as long as we can, as I can respect their values, that I can engage what's relevant, connect what we're doing to their belief systems, we're good. And as long as they have ample opportunity to share their healthy opinions about how they're experiencing things, we're good. But here's what happens when that doesn't, when they don't feel like their opinions invited, or they don't feel like their values are respected, they start to notice what's wrong instead of what's right. Mm. And they start to you know, little things like, oh, you know, you missed a spot, your, your training slides have an error in them, or, you know, why didn't you do that? I mean, the littlest things we would say, really, is that really important to you? Well, it is when they're in distress. And so it's very important that we stop everything at that point and address the miscommunication. Because if we don't, we're all going to be chasing our tails and having power struggles around who's credible and who's not, and you can't be trusted. And I don't even know why I'm at this training. And next thing you know, everything's been taken off the rails. Um, and so one of the very simple interventions I say is, you know, your opinion is very important for me. And I know you're very observant. Would you be willing to help me notice and keep track of any inconsistencies and give them to me at the end of the training so I can improve our work? They're happy as a clam because now we're leveraging their gifts again. And I get that. That's fabulous and great way, great way to use their strengths. Um, I've certainly confronted that in workshops. And somebody said, you know, you spelled that wrong. Well, there's a double space there. Do I okay. care? Not at all. But Okay. <laughs> You do. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, that's, you know, and I, I love the idea of inviting them to say, well, you know, if you want to take notes of that for me and let me know at the end so I could do that, I'd be awesome. Thank you so much. That's great. And it's not blowing smoke up their ass. It's actually caring. That's fantastic. But at the same time, that's addressing a symptom, not a problem. And so I go, Hmm. All right. Well, so how did I lose their trust in that they became focused in on that? How do we address that, Nate? You know, so you, you, you've got that person in your room who said those things, but obviously something went off the rails uh, that you can certainly steer them back towards trusting you more by giving, by recognizing that what their value is, yeah. but there's something got lost in order for them to go down that road. How would you address that? I love that question. One of what I, what is so special about PCM is it, it reveals this dynamic that when humans don't get their needs met in a healthy way, they will attempt to get those very same needs negatively with or without awareness. Yep. And it's like oxygen. It's not a matter of it, of, of when, or if it's a matter of when, mm -hmm. what PCM identifies is exactly what does the negative attention behavior look like? Mm -hmm. And therefore, what is the positive unmet need that doesn't solve the symptom, it solves the underlying problem so that the symptom goes away. Mm -hmm. So in my story, I actually dealt with the underlying problem, with, which is the person needs to be respected for their beliefs and they need to be able to share their opinions freely without judgment. And when they know that that's true, the symptoms recede. Uh, and so it, the symptom tells us what, what the unmet need is so that we can stop chasing symptoms. I love that you brought that up. Well, I think that that's what we do in leadership. So yeah. often what I see is leaders who are firemen 
a firewoman, you know, they're running around putting out fires. And the reason they're putting out fires is because they're constantly dealing with symptoms and not with the actual cause and going after the cause. And so if somebody is, if somebody's nitpicking at me about the spelling of something, that's irritating to me because I don't give a crap. Quite honestly, I don't. I understand my grammar's not good and I understand my spelling's worse. I get that. That's why I have an editor. So if you find something in mind that's not spelled right, I probably didn't notice and I don't really care that much. I care that you care, but I don't really care that much. And I would put stuff out without an editor if I, if I was really sort of arrogant about it. I'm not. I understand yeah. that. But at the same time, that for me is, is a statement of something far bigger going on inside of you that you have to now feel like you can dismantle my authority by noticing that I didn't have an apostrophe here when I probably should. Well, what you've just revealed is the difference between content and process. When it's about your apostrophe, it's not about your apostrophe. That's the content. And what happens is when we don't pay attention to process, the content starts to become all encompassing. Companies will ask me, how do you know if our company's in distress a lot or we have a lot of drama? I said, just bring me your policy manual and I will, I will see how many of your policies are designed to try to control negative behavior. Yes. And the more you have like that, the more you are doing symptom management and putting out fires and you're not dealing with the underlying lack of proper motivation, lack of proper communication that honors people for who they are. That is so well said. Absolutely. Now I know that you have, um, you have a, uh, a PCM leadership profile that people can, can get. Uh, how, do, how do they get that? Because you know, I want people to have a sense of yes. this and have a, a way to sort of try it on. Well, I'm really excited about this. I was, um, I was commissioned by Kaler Communications International, which owns the PCM model. We're a distributor for the United States, but they, they commissioned me to develop a profile just for leadership. And this is about how does your personality actually enable you to do leadership and how do you lead according to your personality and then how do you adjust and adapt to leverage other people's personalities and so people can try to make their best guesses by using the tables in the book and the fable and trying to figure out what they are and there's plenty of tools for that if you're into self-analysis but if you really want to know uh, people can go to our website seeingpeoplethrough.com and get the profile and be able to see for real and receive a lot of actionable information on that. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a good way for people to to have a sense and play with it. Um, I think it's always valuable when you get a, takes it out of the theory and like, oh, okay, you know. Um, and again, that that piece around those the six profiles. Again, I want to bring up something that we've touched on here a couple of times, and I want to sort of just dig a di- bit deeper because I think that um, as we record this in 2020, you know, we're in this pandemic thing. Right. And one of the things that I've spoken about a lot lately and written about and done a lot of interviews on is the perception or the concept of leadership agility versus leadership agility. Mm. <laughs> right. So, you know, are you able to be agile in, can you lead as an example in an office or remotely? Mm -hmm. right? Which we're seeing a lot of now, but that agility, a lot of it comes down to this willingness to, to recognize what someone else is 
where they're at, right? Talk, talk to us a little bit more about that because it's... Yeah. So uh, in the chapter on agility, I talk, I use the metaphor, actually it was borrowed from my dog. I have a border collie and we don't do a lot of fancy training, but I know border collies are great on, ops, on the agility courses and you see them all right. the time on TV doing this amazing stuff. And so the main character gets asked, how does a dog become agile? And what does it mean to be agile? And first we talk about, well, they have to do good with the obstacles, but an obstacle is not there to get in your way. An obstacle is there to bring out your best. Mm -hmm. And the obstacles are put there for that border collie to shine, but the border collie also has to rest and eat. And so agility starts first with self-care and self-awareness, and then it goes into being able to engage with these various different kinds of personalities in creative ways. I might have the most awesome sports car that can take every turn at 1.3 G's and it can accelerate and is the most agile car ever. But without air in the tires, oil in the engine and gas in the tank, it's nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are two factors about we have to maintain and take care of our car so that it can do all these amazing things it was built to do. So you've been doing your work for a long, long time. You're obviously a very highly respected uh, individual. When did you sort of uh, get introduced? Cause you spoke about it at the beginning. Yeah. When did you get introduced to uh, process communication model and uh, how is that, how did that impact you directly? Yeah, I, I like to say I'm a recovering psychologist and my recovery, <laughs> be <laughs> my recovery began on the day that I got introduced to PCM. I was about seven years to being a practicing clinical psychologist, PhD with neuropsych emphasis, psychological testing. I, I had all these tools. Mm -hmm. And when I was introduced to PCM, I'd never heard of it before. And it was the first time I understood me and why I ticked and why my parents looked at me like I was an alien growing up and why um, I had been in distress for basically 27 years of my life. And so first it helped me understand me and how I ticked and how to take elegant care of myself in ways I never knew how to do before. But then as I got into leadership roles later, it helped me completely change my philosophy of leadership and parenting. And I remember one day about, oh, probably, 15 years ago, my wife and I were sitting on our front porch and she's a so social worker. I'm a psychologist. And she said, Nate, if you had to have a toolkit for your life and parenting and our marriage, and it could be your clinical training or PCM, what would you pick? Didn't even have to think about it. PCM hands down is mm. the tool for my life. That's fascinating. And so how long ago was that? That was about let's see, 12, about 15 years ago that I got introduced and I couldn't have enough. After that, I just got trained and I started working with people and mentored with Dr. Kaler and um, wanted to change the world, but I had to start with changing me. And so, I mean, that is, I mean, that's the crux of it, isn't it? I mean, I think that so often, those of us in leadership roles um, have a little bit of a messianic complex. You know, we, we, we wanna change the world and and I'm not saying that's, you know, in a, in an egoic sense, although there's some of that for sure. But I think that so often we, we lose track that, you know, you got to change you before yeah. you can change the world. 
Um, and, uh, you know, you and I discussed this off, uh, off camera um, a, while, a long while ago is that I, I know that when I first went into psychology, my mate said to me, oh, please don't do that. And I said, why? And he said, most people with master's degrees are so screwed up. And I said, how can you say that? And he goes, because I have a master's degree in psychology. And he owned a national menswear clothing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he said, because everybody goes into it to fix their stuff instead of dealing yeah. with their own stuff. Yeah. And he goes, you know, and this is the challenge. And it, but it, to me, it's not just psychology, it's leadership. I mean, I see that most people are leading others because they haven't yeah. learned how to lead themselves. And well, I this, believe this that- model does that. I believe our personality is one of the most potent, powerful set of resources that we have. And we have to be stewards. It's about stewardship yes. of resources and using them with, with deftness and with respect and with responsibility. Uh, but we have to learn about how we tick before we can do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before you, I mean, obviously you've embraced this model and it's worked very well. So, what was the biggest mistake you think you were making before you got to this? Um, that was the biggest mistake. Yeah. Any form. The biggest mistake I was making is I was in distress and my personality type, one of the six is called promoter. We are adaptable. We're charming. We're persuasive. We're charismatic. We love to influence people for good or for bad, but we just love to influence and, and make things happen. My biggest mistake was I thought that leadership was about what you did to people to get them to do stuff. And I, on any given day, I wasn't clear about what my intentions were. I wasn't clear whether I was manipulating or influencing in a positive way. Um, I just knew I was getting what I wanted. And so that was my biggest mistake was realizing that it starts here with mm -hmm. self-management and that influence isn't about getting people to do what you want. Uh, and so that was, that was a big wake up call for me. And then meeting Jamie and about the same time and realizing, just be quiet, listen, start to learn about other people too. Why do you think it's, why do you think it's so important that leaders understand how to align themselves at home and at work? Cause I think that, you know, again, we, we touched on this before, but leadership often is um, old school leadership at least is this idea that I have a work self and I have a home self. Yeah. And, and a lot of the work that you and I do is about bringing people into, a, into alignment with who they are, yeah. wherever they are. Um, talk to us about what you think is the importance of that. I agree with you hundred percent. Leadership is about aligning people wherever they are, whoever they are towards a common goal. And that common goal could be whatever our family's goal is. It could be our community. It could be our church. It could be our business team. And leadership is about influence and it's about presence. And whether we consider ourselves a leader according to a title or not, our personality is constantly interacting with and affecting people around us, whether we know it or not. So the sooner we understand that and own it and become a master of it, the more effective we can be in our world. Uh, and I think when people don't appreciate their negative distress behavior, we're, we are causing drama and miscommunication everywhere we go without knowing it. And the world doesn't need that negative energy. 
Yeah, I just, uh, I, I just wish I could have people truly grasp uh, the the unconscious bias we bring to situations. Yeah, uh, and but and, and please understand, I, I'm not excluding myself from that. I, I think that we're all doing it, and it takes a a great deal of yeah focus to not do it um, and a commitment to not doing it. Nick, this has been a, a fabulous conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, I want to ask you to please, uh, I'm going to ask you to please tell our, our audience where they can find out more about you. But before I do, uh, I always, as you know, I always like to finish by saying, could you give us one piece, really practical guidance so that our audience can go away after listening or watching the show and go, Okay, I can do that. What's, what's something practical that they could do in the next 24, 48 hours to really integrate what it is you've been sharing? Here's something practical, and it doesn't matter if you ever read my book. It doesn't matter what personality model you've ever studied. Here's something I really want to get across. Personality is not an entitlement program. Personality is not a get out of jail free card. The more you learn about the personality of your personality, the more response able you are. It's not that you can hide behind the labels. So whatever you've learned about yourself, take it as an opportunity to become more response able and more effective in your world. So important uh, because a lot of people say, well, you know, I just, I'm, I know I'm just a jerk. I, I, but I'm authentic about that. And I'm honest about that. As long as I'm honest about it, I'm just telling it like it is. I'm an introvert. So stay out of my way. I'm a, I'm a yeah. high D so I can, I can roll over people as long as I get the job done. No, no. I mean, I, I fully agree with you. These, this is, this is an opportunity to deepen, to evolve and to be response able. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Nate. Great. Um, please tell our audience, because I know you've got a ton of resources, tell our audience where they can find out more about you, uh, your show, your podcast, your book. Oh, I mean, I know there's a ton of resources. Sure, sure. Well, Next Element is my company. And if you search Next Element, you'll find that on the web. The uh, book is called Seeing People Through. And we have a new website that's just weeks from being up uh, at the time of this recording. So hopefully it will be up and live when you're looking for it. Uh, my podcast is called On Compassion with Dr. Nate, and that will show up again if you search or just look for Nate Regeer and would love to connect with you. And again, the actual website, which I'm sure will be fully operational by the time this comes out. Seeingpeoplethrough.com. Seeingpeoplethrough.com. There, of course, you can find out about the book. You can go search Nate Rieger anywhere um, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's in all those great places. And I know because uh, I follow him, that he puts out great content, so I highly recommend it. Nate, it's been a pleasure and honor, sir. Thank you so much for being with us. It's genuinely been a pleasure. And for you, dear listener, you can hang out with other conscious leaders and chat about this episode or any past episodes by going to either our Facebook or our LinkedIn groups. Just look for Leadership and Loyalty Podcasting in either Facebook or LinkedIn. It doesn't matter how successful you are. If your employees and your customers don't understand what gives your company meaning, you're only working at a fraction of your true capability. To find out how you can hire me, Dov Barron, as a speaker or a leadership strategist for yourself or your organization, go to dovbaron.com. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Because unified meaning, or as we call it, finding your dragon fire, 
is the one single monolithic difference between mediocrity and greatness for all individuals and companies. I want to thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know. Till next time, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious about how personality is not your get out of free card, get out of jail free card. It is your um, catalyst for greater depth. It is your permission slip for greater response ability. I'm Dov Barron, and I am here to assist you tapping into your Dragonfire to reach the next level of clarity, focus, purpose, and profit in your business, your life, and your leadership impact. And I am out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit